Hey everybody, well this week is a special week. Many of you have sent in questions for Pastor Dave to answer and for both of us to interact with. This is a mailbag episode. I'm your host, Aaron Miller, pastor of equipping at Grace Baptist Church in Santa Clarita, California. Welcome to Magnify. I got a pastor friend of mine whose daughter's in my class. Yeah. He goes, by the way, taking that class makes her Tuesday about 15 hours long. But I told her it was worth it, so you better bring it. (laughs) I'm getting pressure from parents now. Well, we're going to do something fun today. Good. I can use some fun. We have some, well, you know, let's find out. You may not find this to be fun. Hopefully you do. It's a mailbag. It's a mailbag day. We have some questions that people are sending in. You like Q&A, don't you? I really do. I really do. Is it the spontaneity of it or? I, I don't know. It just for some reason, it's always been something where my mind has worked well and mm-hmm. I've been able to answer the question and answer the question that the question is trying not to ask. So, yeah. I mean, as you, as we ask these questions and if I give an answer, as I give an answer, if you know there are things that would be follow-ups feel free to feel yeah. free to ask them well we'll inter- interact with it a bit yeah. I, I think that's the nice thing about q a for me is when i've done q a in the past it's it's it was typically in youth ministry so yeah you know teenagers tend to ask the same sorts of questions right and it just worked a different set of muscles so when you're preaching you don't necessarily know how and where things are going to land as people are right. received. Because, you know, communication yeah. is a receiver's phenomenon. Sure. But when someone's asking you a question, there's something very satisfying about helping that targeted question meet a satisfying end and helping that person think through something. You know? Yeah, and unlike, you know, political debates where they ask a question and then the politician just gives a stump speech regardless of what the question was, he yeah, gives the, yeah. right, the answer he wants or she wants. We don't do that. Yeah. You know, I would say that though, over the course of teaching and preaching for 30 some years, there's categories mm-hmm. that most, most of the questions come out of a, just a very few categories. Yeah. So. And then you begin to develop kind of a Rolodex in your mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, yeah. there's no, there's no substitute for knowing the Bible. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and there's no substitute for having a basic uh, theological understanding mm-hmm. of, you know, when you take the truths of the Bible and you build a theological house, for instance, the deity of Christ, you take what's in the Bible and you use it and you build a house that is your doctrine of, of Christ, and then you kind of have it. And teaching theology and preaching expositionally is probably the best combination mm-hmm. that keeps, keeps me from being one of those academics who, you know, just has... Uh, high, highfalutin vocabulary and pet peeves. You know, you when you're in the Bible, you're. I think that's the best way to have a balance because you're trying to preach the whole counsel of God. Preaching and theology, teaching those two classes together. Yes, it just probably just really feeds off each other. Really it's nice. fun. You ready for the first one? Absolutely. All right, here we go. I feel like we addressed this somewhat in a previous episode, but here we go. What was the role of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? 
I know that he inspired the Bible as it was written and applies Christ to believers, but what about before Christ? Yeah, great question. Just one thing I want to correct in the in the question, the Spirit didn't inspire the Bible. Inspire is the word that uh, means God breathed out. So mm. God breathed it out. The Spirit superintended the human writers so that what God breathed out was what they wrote down. But the first place we encounter the Spirit is actually in Genesis 1, 2. Mm. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the Spirit Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So yeah. already at the very beginning, we have a a plurality of persons in the one God. Mm-hmm. And the Spirit shows up throughout the Old Testament. Uh, what we know for sure, we know for sure that he comes and goes mm-hmm. on Jephthah and Samson and Saul and right. David. And in our series in David, we saw that. Right. It also is true that whenever regeneration happens, that is when God gives spiritual life, the messenger is the Spirit of God. So there was salvation in the Old Testament. That is a ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who brings life, which then opens eyes to sin, which we call repentance, and opens eyes to, f- to belief, which we call faith. Hmm. The better question is, at what's different between the Old Testament and the New? And on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, Uh, we see that something extraordinary happens, Mm -hmm. that the Spirit comes on all kinds of people, okay, not just kings and priests and and prophets, and and in an enabling way. Mm -hmm. He comes upon people in the Old Testament in a regenerative way, bringing salvation, Mm -hmm. but he comes upon just a few in the Old Testament in an enabling way, like he does David and some of the judges, but in Acts 2, he comes on all the apostles, okay? And, right. and suddenly, the text, Luke goes out of his way to say, and he remained on them. Mm, yeah. Even in the Old Testament, when we get to Psalm 51 and we see that David is regretting and repenting of his sin with Bathsheba, uh, he, he prays, Lord, don't take your spirit from me. Mm. Because he understood that when Saul disobeyed, God took his spirit from Saul. So we have to understand that in some ways, the the sealing and the indwelling presence, the ongoing indwelling presence of the Spirit of God in the, in the believer is a new covenant mm. uh, blessing. But he was very active in the Old Testament. Do you think the Spirit was, I don't know how to say this, uh, bestowed upon Adam and Eve pre-fall? Wow, I'd, I would hesitate to say that. Yeah. Uh, only because... I don't know. Right. Uh, the Bible gives us no indication of that. Right. Uh, it's not like when he rushed on Saul or mm-hmm. he leaves. We're we're not told anything about that. And it's right. really difficult theologically once you start saying, oh, I think this because of that. Right. The Bible doesn't really say it. I just wanted to see what you'd say. <laughs> and I think, I think I was right. I know exactly where I thought you were going to go and you went there. That's great. Means we know each other, Dave. Yep, absolutely. Question number two. What happens to babies when they die? Do they go to heaven? Wow, this is, uh, obviously, this is one of those great, huge questions that flows out of a bigger philosophical uh, issue, and that is the problem of evil. Mm. And so, obviously, when babies die, we think, wow, why? But 
I got to tell you, I have an answer that is probably not going to satisfy anybody. Okay. Uh, the way I look at it is we know some things for sure. Number one, we know that every baby born actually comes into this world with inherited guilt, whereas in Adam all die, right? As by one man's transgression, this is Romans 5, sin came into the world and death by sin. The proof that everyone has a sin nature and inherited guilt is that they die. Mm-hmm. Okay, The only way that is overcome, according to the Bible, the only way we know that the guarantee of, of sin and death is overcome is by faith in Christ. So, if we're going to say that babies die, they go immediately to heaven, we'd have to, we'd have to agree that somehow their inherited guilt and their sin nature that they inherited from Adam was taken care of apart from faith. Now, if God wants to do that, that's certainly okay with me. It's a grace. Yeah. It but is grace. He, but yeah. He, he doesn't say that. Right, right. So I can't give people that assurance. So the way I've come at it is unusual, but I, I look at both cases and I say, okay, if I knew for sure that every baby who dies goes to hell, mm. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't deal with that. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, just, yeah. that would so impact my understanding of God. Yeah. It's not the heart that's revealed. Right. The heart of God is not that. Right. Yeah. But on the other hand, if I knew that every baby dying in infancy, uh, and that's a whole nother question, how old do they have to be? But if I knew that every baby dying in infancy, I might be just crazy enough to say that abortion is the greatest means of populating heaven ever. I just heard a statistic uh, since abortion was approved, 60 million yeah. Lives have been ended. Yeah. I, I mean, I've dealt with that hypothetical from students in the past yeah. about abortion serving yeah. as a way to populate heaven. The The problem with that is the purpose of heaven actually isn't heaven. Right. Right. The, the, the purpose of human existence is to become like Christ. Yes. And, and so if you, you want to, you know, try to jump the front of the line and, oh, just heaven's the goal. No, 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 no. Christ is the treasure. And so when we bereft people of the opportunity to become like Christ, right? Well, yeah. So my point is, if I take either option, A, uh, as some have said, a baby dies, instant heaven. Right. On the other hand, no, a baby dies, and if there was no faith, then hell. I can't accept either one of those. Yeah. So I'm going to be a sanctified agnostic and say, God hasn't told us. Hmm. I don't know. Mm. God knows. Mm. And I trust that he, the judge of the earth, is always going to do what's best and right, is what the psalmist tells us. Can I dig into this a little bit? Absolutely. As a pastor? Yeah. Okay. Can you describe a time when you've pastorally had to walk that? Oh, I can. When I was in Corona, the Williams family, uh, they ended up having the only quads, quadruplets, born in... uh, Riverside County ever. Mm. And they had three girls and a boy. And we had, we put together the quad squad in our church. Mm. And for a whole year, two people from our church were in that home 24 hours a day on a rotating schedule. We had probably 60, 80 people on the quad squad because 
when you have four babies like that, it is a full-time job. You, you feed and burp and change and put them to sleep just in time to do the other one. Right. And so the parents just couldn't do it. And on the day that President Reagan died, one of the girls died as well, mm. about a year old. And she had been born with some real heart problems, and, and it was horrible. And so when I got together with the parents and they're asking me, you know, where, where's our baby? My answer was, uh, the Bible doesn't tell us, but you have every right to believe that God has done justly and graciously mm -hmm. and lovingly with your daughter. I can't tell you why, except for his nature. And that's as far as I could go. Yeah. How did they receive that? Well, fortunately, the dad was a seminary grad, mm -hmm. and he has wrestled with the theological implications of both horns of that dilemma. Yeah. I said, I, I believe that you have every right to find peace in trusting the sovereign God who always does what is best and right. Mm. I believe that they, d in their own minds, just decided he, we're going to see our little girl again in mm -hmm. heaven. Yeah. So, and that's fine with me. Yeah. I'm not going to hold anybody's conscience captive. I just have to be careful that I don't want to go beyond what scripture does go. Yeah. There are some websites. Uh, Sam Storms has a great website called uh, Theological Controversies. If you look up Sam Storms, he's got this huge website. Yep. There's a section on theological controversies or controversial stuff. And he makes a good case. He lays out 14 issues you have to deal with in this. And I think reading it can mm -hmm. really help. Yeah. And I have, yeah. and I'm still kind of where I am. Pastoring is such delicate work sometimes. Yeah. That's... But let me go back and say it's a pleasure and a, and a real privilege to be with people. As pastors, we are with people on the best days and the worst days of their lives. Amen. Yep. We're there when their babies are born. We're there when their kids you know, graduate, we're there when the kids get married, when, uh, we're with the people that get married. And we're also there when tragedy strikes. Mm -hmm. And that's really one of the privileges of, yeah. of pastoral ministry. Yeah. Amen. Okay, brother, next question. You've talked a lot about being influential in the pulpit and on this podcast, but what if you're just a college student? Where would you recommend being of most significant influence? Yeah, I think there are stages in life. Uh, I think there are stages where you are becoming a person of influence, and then there are stages when you are actually influencing. Yeah. And I'm, I probably have a little different view of this. I think college is a time when you get to, it's the only time in your life when the world's going to let you study minutiae. Okay. <laughs> it's yeah. the only time in your life yeah. when you get to read, you know, some of these Hobbes yeah. and uh, Augustine. Yeah. And, and so I think the place to be influential is uh, in the dorm and in the church. Yep. And if you have a job, uh, that's one of the ways, when I was in college, I had a job and my dad said, look, be a good worker, yep. uh, be there on time, demonstrate a good work rate, good integrity, yep. smile. I, I think everywhere a college person goes, they can be influential. Yeah. On the job is probably the number one place. Yeah, I think that's so wise, uh, considering the stage of life that we're in. Because... Uh, probably it's a mixed bag, that stage. It's time to influence. But also, you need, as a college student, as a high school student, uh, a young adult in that, 
that time of life, you need to make sure that you're being around the proper influences. Right. You know, yeah. you, you make sure that your character is developing, make sure that your, your heart is, is following after wise thinking, you know. If I could spend some time, and I do with a lot of our college students, they need to know that their generation is generally looked upon as self-centered mm-hmm. and as lazy and, you know, trying to get the most for the least. And that, you know, that the stats tell us that the college students now and those who have been graduated in the last five, six years, they change jobs every 18 months looking for a better position. They expect to start on top. They expect to be paid a lot. They expect that they have a degree and then they go on to master's and they get a, a master's degree right. and they come out and go, okay, when do I get to be CEO? Ah, it's not the way our students are, of course, <laughs> but that's how the world looks at them. Yes. And so one of the great ways to be influential among your peers is to get places on time. Turn in your assignments, ask good questions, keep your room clean, mm-hmm. right? If you make a mess, clean it up. Uh, be ready for every good work. You know, park in the right place. Right. Put your shopping cart away, pick up litter. In other words, discipline yourself to become a person who, when you walk in the room, uh, adults, your your employers, yeah. the people you are you know, supervising, they go, okay, good. We're going to be okay. Right. Well, here's one. Walk briskly on the crosswalk. There you go. Yeah, and don't just stare at the guy don't waiting for you. Don't saunter and stare at the person in the... Oh, man. I tell you what, that might be generational. And but... lastly, I would say uh, for Christian college students, yeah. be influential amongst other students by taking advantage of the local church and Amen. be there. Yeah. And go to the Q&As and yep. you know, ask, learn, take advantage of this amazing institution called the local church. Amen. Hey folks, we're going to pause it right here for a message from Grace Theater. Every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled in his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. It's the holiday classic, A Christmas Carol, live on WGBC Radio this Christmas Eve, 1937. Hey, it's Chloe. And Nash. Join us for our next Chloe and Nash podcast as we listen to and comment on an old-time radio show from Christmas 1937. Are we really doing this? Listen, as a Christian married couple, you and I need to be on the same page when it comes to Christmas time. So maybe you'll learn something from old Scroogey. Our listeners are under the impression that you're not a fan of Christmas. Bah, humbug. See, this is what I'm talking about. Grace Theater, celebrating 20 years of bringing family-friendly entertainment to the SCV, presents a never-before-seen original adaptation of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Five shows, one weekend only, November 16th through the 19th, with two shows on Saturday for the first time ever, a matinee performance. Bring your family and friends and enjoy a night of theater together. Tickets are only $10. Join podcasters Chloe and Nash as they discover that a Christmas Eve blast from the past can be life-changing. Okay, number four. When is it appropriate to read books of authors we occasionally disagree with? Is it ever okay? Should there be some things we don't read? Well, I'll start with the last thing. Yeah, there's some things you shouldn't read. Uh, I mean, that's probably not what they're asking, but you shouldn't be reading erotic literature. You mm-hmm. shouldn't be yeah. reading 
yeah. you know, stuff that is um, conspiracy theorists that's going to ask you to believe stuff that is unproven. Mm-hmm. The second thing I'd say is I don't think there's anything other than those kinds of things sure. that you shouldn't read. And and the questioner is probably asking, what about theological books? What about historical books yeah. written by people that we don't agree with? Please understand that you've got to know enough to know that you don't disagree with them. So you need to have a mind that's prepared. I will tell you a personal story. I was raised to think that uh, some authors, you shouldn't read them. And uh, Sartre, for instance, right. and uh, Bart, Carl right. Bart, I was told, man, don't read him. It, and you shouldn't until you're s- strong enough and pers- your perspective is good and your perception is ready to discern where he's right and where he's wrong. But while I was on sabbatical, I was studying the whole idea of church and state. Mm-hmm. And Carl Bart's three essays on church and state are really good. Yeah. Now, so much of what he wrote could be is dangerous. Yeah. It's wrong about scripture and and just some of his views. But I would say if your if your mind is sharp and if you have been educated in the area that you're about to read, go ahead and read it and be discerning. Yeah. And if you run into things that make you question something you think you already know, yeah. go to someone who's been down that road ahead of you. Like you, Aaron, or me, or someone else, in a professor, and say, "Okay, I was reading this. Yeah, I was reading, you know, Freud, and he said this, right. and it kind of struck a chord. What should I think about that?" I think that's really wise because it's not sometimes what you're reading, but it's how you're reading. So if you read in isolation, right, many times you're just in your own little cave of thought. But kind of coming alongside of, you know, a group of individuals or someone who has lived longer than you just to bounce the ideas off of, it's really wise. I know if somebody hands me a book, I look at the table of contents, I look at the author, I read about the author. I read the book and maybe there's, let's say there's 12 chapters and maybe only two of them are helpful or even good. Yeah. I don't throw the book away. What I do is I go through the table of contents and I make notes this one's not so good. This was two stars. This one's really good. Yeah. So every book has potentially something useful in it, even if it's written by someone you disagree with. The key is you've got to know why you disagree. What about reading books uh, like uh, pagan literature, the Satanic Bible, uh, Book of Mormon, the Quran? Yeah, I mean, I've, I haven't read the Satanic Bible. I have read the Quran, mm-hmm. a lot of it. I think it's good to know it's in the Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I've read the Catholic Catechism, especially in the area of pastoral ministry. It's good to know right. what a lot of other people are seeing as, you know, definitive truth. Yeah. But again, it, it's kind of like asking somebody to climb Mount Everest who's never, never climbed a mountain. Mm-hmm. You you got to be ready mentally, intellectually, spiritually, if you're going to engage with right. with authors and ideologies that you know right. probably are going to run contrary to some of the biblical truths that you believe. Right. N- not that those works that I just rattled off are all the same. I think sometimes it depends on whether or not 
what you're reading is going to be useful. It's probably more useful to be aware of the Book of Mormon than the Satanic Bible, for example. Oh, yeah. Right. Uh, but there certainly is a context in which actually that might be useful depending on uh, who God is using you to, um, you know, interact with them for the sake of the gospel. So you just never know. Okay. Number five. And this is interesting, actually. I like this one because uh, we've talked about this before as it would relate to uh, the foundations. In what ways can Catholics and Protestants partner together in community when they disagree on theology? And we could probably expand that to Latter-day Saints or uh, practicing Jews as well. Yeah. Well, you know, we all live on this uh, big blue marble mm-hmm. called the earth. And uh, we all we do have some... We have some foundations that we agree with. You know, you talk about Roman Catholicism, they actually believe in the Trinity. Mm-hmm. They believe right. in the deity of Christ. Right. They believe in the in the cross and the resurrection. Uh, the Apostles' Creed came out of uh, early Christianity, which was largely the, the seedbed of what we came to know as Roman Catholicism. Uh, you have a guy like Augustine. By the way, if you're listening, St. Augustine is a city in Florida. <laughs> Augustine is the church father who's in heaven. And uh, it, it's interesting, if you go to a, a debate between the Roman Catholics and an, an evangelical, you'll find they both quote Augustine. Yeah, We right. quote Augustine on, on depravity and on salvation, and they quote him on the church. So I think there's a plenty of common ground, as someone has said, to be co-belligerents. Mm-hmm. I would go on a walk for life with a, a Catholic or a Mormon, mm-hmm. uh, LDS, and uh, we're both against the fact that we're killing yeah. babies. Right. I, I believe we can stand together in terms of other moral standards. Uh, the, the current you know, debacle of transgenderism and, and uh, you know, aberrant sexuality. Right. But most Roman Catholics would be against that, I would right. think. Here's here's the thing, if I could just go off on a little rabbit trail with Catholicism. Be careful not to equate Roman Catholic leadership with Roman Catholic people. Absolutely. Most Roman Catholics have no idea Absolutely. what the Catholic Church actually believes. Right. For instance, they used to teach purgatory. Right. Which is a place that you went and uh, they purged sin out of you. The the uh, whole idea of purgatory is almost non-existent now in Catholicism. Right. right. Because they have had missional drift. Right. They have drifted away from things that they used to believe. They don't know the Bible. Right. Okay. Most priests don't know the Bible. I was... Uh, I was eating in a local restaurant about 10 years ago, and uh, uh, one of my friends who I got to know, he was a Monsignor, he walked in, and Sherilyn and I were eating, and we asked him to sit down with us, and uh, he asked me what I was preaching, and I said, I'm in Titus, and he looked at me, and he said, oh, what's in Titus? Mm-hmm. And I asked him I, later, I said, okay, you did seminary, what did you study? He said, the first two years, all we studied was uh, uh, scholastic philosophy, wow. you know, Aquinas yeah. and yeah. all those guys. And then he said the, the last year we did some in Genesis, some in Psalms, we did some in Matthew and some, I think he said Ephesians. Yeah. He had no idea what was in Titus. He'd never read Titus. Sad. Yeah. And so really many Roman Catholics are a great mission field. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've been asked, and I know you have as well, can Catholics be Christians? And I was absolutely. Absolutely. I don't think, however, 
I don't think, however, once they come into the life of Christ, that they can identify with the Roman Catholic Church as an institution ordained by God. You know, so we do have, I believe you have brothers historically. Look, Luther didn't want to stop being Catholic. Right. He wanted to reform the Catholic Church. Yeah. You know, we have other uh, brothers who are now, I believe, with the Lord. So um, Richard John Newhouse, right? Uh, Beckwith, right, from ETS. Yeah. I don't agree with what they did going from a Protestant viewpoint to back to the Catholic Church. But they did so with the desire to bring reformational truths to bear. So. Um, and we've talked about, um, well, you mentioned it this morning in chapel, you know, it's not a Catholic individual, but, uh, someone who is Mormon, I'm very thankful that a Mormon is on the school board. Right. You know, cause we, we do have these shared values, even though we don't have the same foundation. And I would also go so far as to say is that if we, uh, if we are uncompromising in our belief, but also very loving in our relationships, yeah. We may be able to have conversations with those who are in other uh, faith organizations. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And if they, if we get the chance, we can interact with them, ask them their beliefs. You know, why? What about the Bible? What about Jesus? What about sin? Yeah. And if they have, you know, areas in their theology where there are great gaps, and they begin to see that we're willing to, you know, interact with them. Maybe that's what God the Spirit uses to open their eyes to the truth. Have you developed close friendships with the Catholics uh, here in town? Because I know, you know, across the street we have Yeah, one, the Monsignor there, who's, yeah, uh-huh. he, he recently died. But yeah, I mean, uh, okay. I'm not going to say we went golfing together, but yeah. uh, we saw each other a lot at the local Starbucks. Uh-huh. Um, one time I was talking to him and one of his parishioners came in and he said, Oh, Lois, this is David. He knows the Bible. Mm. And that's the difference. Yeah. That's the difference. All right. One more, Dave. One more. I don't think I was actually saved when I was baptized in junior high. I now follow Christ. Should I get baptized now as a believer? You know, when I I hear that question, I, unfortunately, we hear it a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also, unfortunately, or fortunately, that's my story. Mm-hmm. I was raised in a Baptist preacher's home, and I think I've said this you know, many times from the pulpit that in in third grade, as an eight-year-old boy, there were six or eight of us, and the first semester was all about getting saved, and the second semester was all about the sacraments, the ordinances, baptism and Lord's Supper. So the curriculum was, we all got saved. We were gloriously converted as third graders. And then the second sem- semester of Sunday school, uh, we all on a Sunday night, I think three of us at a time, um, different Sunday nights, we got baptized. So that's just, and I was a good little boy. I loved my dad and he was the pastor and he said, this is what we do. And, and that's what I did. And then when I came to college to what was then LABC, now the master's university, and I began to really study and then think about what salvation really looked like. It was the first time I was away from home and on my own had to give my own testimony because I'd grown up in a church where I was the preacher's kid, so everybody just assumed. And I had to realize, you know what? I didn't come to know Christ until I was a day before my 16th birthday. Mm. And it, I went home at Christmas that first year, and I'd called my, my dad, and I said, Dad, I need to be baptized when I get home because I wasn't a believer. Mm. And I was convinced, and still am, that baptism is a privilege 
See, it's my first opportunity to stand in front of the church and say, hey, I have been wondrously saved by Jesus through faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. So now my mom, I told her, yeah, I'm going to get baptized. She goes, oh, David, you, you, were, you were baptized. You were a believer when you were in third grade. Because she was embarrassed about it. Mm. So that's what I would say to parents, if you're listening. Look, if your kids get come home and from Awana or wherever and say, hey, I, I trusted Jesus, you should go, that's great. That's wonderful. And now, you know, mom and I are excited to see how the Spirit of God is going to transform your life. Yeah. And so I would say to this person who asked the question, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. What a what a wonderful opportunity to stand in front of a church family and say, you know, I was baptized. It was, you know, for whatever reason. Yeah. But I have had my eyes open to the fact that who Jesus is, yeah. and I am now here with you to say, Jesus is my Savior and my Lord, and I need your help, family, right. to live for Him, brother. Didn't you? Didn't you baptize an actual elder? Yeah, we had an <laughs> elder here at Grace Baptist Church. Great guy. Yeah. And. About two years after he became an elder, he became convinced that when he'd been <clears throat> baptized early in his 20s, that he really had not come Wasn't to better. repentance. Yeah. It was mostly, I'm going to do this and try Jesus. Yeah. And he, and so as a almost 50-year-old, yeah. we baptized him, and it was a beautiful thing. Yeah, because it, it stirred up a lot of questions. And Absolutely. And fruitful conversations. Yep. Well, Dave, the mailbag is empty. Well, then I have a question for you. Yeah. How do you like being the host of Magnify? How do you, <laughs> how do you get prepared for this? What's your thought process? So what I do, and I don't know if we talked about this when we sat down with you and Sarah Cam, but I will prepare a few days. So we record, folks, usually on a Tuesday, sometimes on a Wednesday, but usually on a Tuesday. The Thursday of the previous week, I'm starting to develop what I call a conversation pathway. Sometimes it's in the form of like maybe interview questions for Dave or for some guests, but you really don't want to get locked into that uh, form. You'd rather have it be a free-flowing conversation. So I'll create a thought path with some notes and some suggestions and maybe some scriptures or some you know, ideas. And then I'll just walk into Dave's office and say, hey, this is what we're going to do. And David will interact with it. And I don't know, man, I like the spontaneity of it, you know? Yeah, I do too. You and I have good chemistry. Yeah, I, I think, think it's because we talk a lot when we're not being mic'd up. Totally. But I just want on behalf of our church and our staff, and I'm sure the the vast listening public are growing. Audience. I want to thank you, Aaron, for the work you put into this. I think uh, a lot of people are very benefited by Thanks, it. Thanks, man. But also Cam and Sarah. It's all team, isn't it, Dave? It is. Team before self. Well, folks, thanks so much for tuning in or streaming in, rather, because we're online here. We're not radio. It's never live, folks. We always have editing power, but we're happy that you streamed in. Join us next week as we sit down with another set of guests. Thanks for streaming. Thank you so much for joining us today. Make sure to subscribe to Magnify Podcast so you never miss an episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others. Post about it on social media or leave a rating and review. We would love to hear from you. So if you have any questions you'd like to ask in our mailbag, you can email them to magnify at gracebaptist.org and we will answer them on the show. Thank you so much for streaming.